from two Enneagram map makers. Charting the unexplored interior landscape of the ego with Chris Stewart. Welcome back to Enneagram Map Makers. Hopefully you're enjoying this season and hopefully this is a um, positive distraction to some of the uncertain news that's going on out there in the world. I know so many of us are trying to fill our minds with things that lead to um, hope and, 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 and the possibility that we are becoming better together as we wade through some of these murky waters of uncertainty And so hopefully these conversations have contributed to that. And hopefully these conversations have been a welcome distraction to to some of the other things that may continue to drum up some unwanted anxiety or or distress. Today on this show, I'm I'm really excited to introduce to you Michael Goldberg. Michael Goldberg is, is really one of these kind of anomalies out there in the Enneagram world. He was a lawyer who um, was also a consultant and some of the groups that he began consulting with, especially around his work with the Enneagram, included the, the CIA. And, and it was remarkable to think that, that somebody um, years and years ago was actually introducing this on, on that level. He's written a few great, great books. The Nine Ways of Working, How to Use the Enneagram to Discover Your Natural Strengths and Work More Effectively. But my, my favorite of all of his books is actually Travels with Odysseus, Uncommon Wisdom from Homer's Odyssey. And this is where Michael actually looks at some of these great Greek epics and specifically the Iliad and the Odyssey, and where he suggests in the Iliad that um, it follows the energies of, of the nine types, the Enneagram's nine points on the outside of the circle clockwise around the circle through the, the Trojan War. But in the Odyssey on, on Homer's journey back to Ithaca, right, the sea voyage, which just should have taken two weeks where Odysseus gets waylaid and ends up spending 10 years trying to get back to, to Penelope, the love of his life and Telemachus, his little boy, who's now a 21 year old young man looking for his father. Well, well, Michael actually maps the nine points, the nine energies that the Enneagram starting at the top at point nine counterclockwise in order going around the circle at these various stops that Odysseus and his men make. And, And what he's really getting at is there is something in all of us of these nine types that kind of have to be ingested, internalized, metabolized, that have to sort of be made sense of, but have to kind of be left behind as well as we make our way home, as we journey back to our truest self. And so it's remarkable. It's actually brilliant. And what's brilliant about this book is the implicit never becomes explicit. And Travels with Odysseus, Michael actually never mentions the Enneagram, but if you know anything about it, it's right there. You can't help but see that was the structure of the book. Now, like I said, Michael is a writer, a speaker, a consultant to people and organizations. Um, He's an incredible um, workshop and training facilitator. He's an incredible communicator, and that's actually where I met him. I actually met Michael several years ago at an Arizona Enneagram Association's training where he was actually fusing mythology and the Enneagram. And he did quite a bit of his work with Homer's Iliad and Odyssey, and and it was stunning. I I mean, I was just furiously scribbling notes down, trying to keep up, trying to to understand all the the image and the, the, the metaphors, the totems and the symbols. But then he also did quite a bit of work around 
Medusa as a symbol of the fixations and what he did with Perseus and Medusa's story was was nothing short than brilliant and and I just love actually being with him I love being around him there's a kind of winsome gentleness and and how he expresses these things and he takes these really really deep concepts and he takes some of these really outlandish and fabulous ideas that actually I've never heard anyone even sort of hint at and he just makes them digestible. He he tucks them in story, and 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 you can't help but just hang off of every word. And so, as a storyteller, he's he's really a gifted and, and brilliant communicator. Now, this conversation, um, like all of these that we're we're having this season, goes pretty deep, pretty quick, and and we move pretty quickly past this old, worn out notion of, you know, here's your number, and let's talk about being that into man, what does this tradition and what does this teaching do as a, a tool for transformation? And, and you'll hear Michael say something along the lines that learning the Enneagram helps us forget that as we learn this teaching, we begin to forget this, let's say, conditioned sense of self that disconnects us from our essence, that, that keeps us in the fog of forgottenness and, and forgetfulness about our truest selves. And I think actually that kind of line learn the Enneagram so that you can forget is, is really, I think sums up the, 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 the culture. I think the, the, the depth, I think the trajectory of, of Michael's work out there. If you want to learn more about Michael and, and what he's up to really, I would encourage you to chase down his books and spend some time with them. They're, they're really practical. They're, they're, they're really handy resources. They're, 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 they're actually really accessible given the depth that, that, that's tucked away in those. And if you are interested in, in seeing where he's going to be teaching and, and training and facilitating workshops, you can get on his website. It's nine and actually the number nine ways of working.com. And you can learn more about his consulting work there as well as what he's written and published. So I would really encourage you to chase down Michael Goldberg. Um, if you can, you can find yourself at one of his workshops, you, you, you'll, you'll be, you'll be transformed just simply being in his presence, but how you relate to this teaching in this tradition and how you relate to the Enneagram as a whole, I think will, will really be, um, We'll find new meaning through story and how he introduces this through story. And so here's my conversation with Michael. Get ready. This is going to get wild. Man, Michael, thank you so much for agreeing to be part of this. It is, um, I, I've been so excited thinking about thinking about talking with you. So appreciate you making, making time and, and making room on your calendar to, to join us. Oh, thanks for inviting me, Chris. It's really great to be here. Yeah. So, can you can you help us um, just by by giving a little context? Um, tell us a little bit about your work, where you're at, what what's keeping you busy. Yeah, sure. Um, I uh, teach the Enneagram uh, to uh, uh, organizations and uh, teams. I take teams away on retreat, um, and uh, uh, I work for. The government as well, and I'm finishing my third book, which is really foreground right now on the Enneagram, and uh, and I travel some to teach publicly around the world to teach the Enneagram, Asia, China, Africa. So this is I. So honestly, I'm 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 super duper excited to just kind of um, dig into this with you because I a few years ago I was on a on a workshop where you um 
sort of introduced the Enneagram and some some correlation with mythology. And, and it's just, it shook me. I, I haven't stopped thinking about it. Wondering if you can um, help me understand a little bit more and, and maybe share a little bit about how did you come to learn of the Enneagram and, and what was your first introduction to it? Yes. Um, I was in school in Washington, D.C. in the 70s. And um, Oscar Ichazo, who's a spiritual teacher originally from Paraguay, um, had a uh, started a group called Eureka, and they were nation- nationwide, and they opened a center about two blocks from my house. And uh, in that work, they taught the Enneagram, and I learned the Enneagram there. Um, but it, it was... Um, I, well, I didn't. I didn't follow up on it or anything. And then a few years later, uh, a friend introduced me to Helen Palmer. Her book hadn't even come out yet, uh, and uh, she was teaching in Berkeley. And uh, um, uh, she was she was really uh, just sublime. She was teaching using panels of type, uh, which I think she inter- in which I think she invented, where she would have four or five examples of type and ask them questions and this would be in front of a class. And so um, I continued on from Helen. So it's pretty amazing that you actually were were connected to the Arikans in the 70s because how Ichaso introduces the Enneagram is actually radically different than sort of what people are working with in terms of the Enneagram of personality today. Could you could you talk about some of the differences? Well, yeah. I, Chazo saw it as part of a larger system uh, that he taught, and um, he didn't like the idea that it was going off on its own. Um, he, uh, of course, the Enneagram of personality stands on its own today, in a way, and um, uh, the Enneagram teachers are mainly concentrating on the Enneagram, not a philosophical context for it, which has um, some advantages and some big disadvantages. And then I understand you actually spent some some time with Ichaso. Can you can you talk a little bit about that? Yeah, um, I I went to his house uh, in Maui on the top of a hill in Maui. It was a it was a real pilgrimage, and uh, I spent a weekend with him, and he. He is a very dignified man. Uh, he had a separate building, which was his library, which which had to be um, temperature controlled and humidity controlled, and a very erudite, very um, authoritative, knowledgeable um, about the roots of the Enneagram, the philosophy, the history, the sources. Um, but also, he was a martial artist, and so he was very he combined the those. Um, um, just right in the most interesting way. Um, we talked uh, at great length about uh, about the roots of the Enneagram, but also he he I've been studying the Enneagram for some years before I saw him, but he just turned it on its head in this way. He opened up the idea of movement, of how the points move or are um, constantly, or not constantly in flux, or not when, and that's a fixation problem. But um, he said to me, for example, that the wings are more important than the base point itself, which just knocked me out. I barely understood what he meant, but of course now it's central in the way I look at the enneagram. It's all about. 
pulls and flow and relatedness. One of the great problems with the Enneagram is we teach the types as though they were isolated, uh, freestanding in space. Um, I've had two students from time to time who say, you know, I want to write a book about the Enneagram, but just about fours, or especially fours, but also about you know, just about twos. And and uh, you really can't do that. I mean, you could. There were those books. Those two books actually were written, but they they you have to put it in a context. And the context for each number is always the other eight, um, how mm. they relate to the other eight, um, what connections are alive, what connections are stagnant. Um, the most important thing, or, or I got from him, I suppose, maybe the most important thing about the enneagram, is that. It moves, and what are the dynamics, and what's pulling on what? And uh, when you talk about points in isolation, just uh, without existing and relating, in, without relating to another point, that's that's fixation. That's 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 where you get stuck. And the way out is to find your connection to other points uh, through the lines. So, all right, so that's that's actually amazing. You know this. There's some some really prominent, respected um, Enneagram teachers and authors out there that, that actually think, in a sense, the wings are kind of inconsequential, that they, they, they really don't have all that much um, Right. Well, that's how, it was, uh, that's how it was taught when I came into it many years ago, which was that the wings were just a gloss and uh, uninteresting and, and um, trivial. But in fact, the wings create the point, the... The point is a resolution of the pull of the wings, and so, uh, and so that's why Chazo emphasized their importance. And remember the basic um, idea of the, of the of the enneagram. The basic teaching is to become unfixated, and the way that you get in there, the way that you undermine the enneagram point. That's the that's the goal, I guess you could say, is by working with uh, the wings and other points connected by the lines, and then the whole, uh, the whole Megillah. And um, so, 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 yeah. So, I guess that's what I would say about that. Yeah, the, the wings are important, and the the lines are critically important as well. So, before we uh, get to the lines, because you you had said something that bent my brain in half about the lines. I, I do want to say this. Like One of your first I, books I that I had I read... Can, I don't know if I, that's covered by my insurance. We'll have to see. <laughs> oh, boy. And I, um, one, of the, one of the first books of yours that I read, I, I, I came across your your languaging or this idea of, of, of you kind of naming these wings as uh, shadow points and ally points. Can you can you talk about that? Yeah, I was trying to find a way to emphasize the pull, and that um, the, the shadow point, um, the, that is the point minus one, is uh, something in general that is uh, hidden and um, behind, and uh, the ally point is the pull forward. Um, there's a whole energetic flow around the outside of the enneagram that ally and shadow comes from and it's sort of useful i i don't talk about that anymore because i go right to the dynamics of the wings but but that's uh it's important to know that the wings are central now sometimes people say uh i remember years ago somebody posted some bulletin board somebody posted uh well i'm a 
four with a three wing, and I have absolutely no five. And so much for Goldberg's theory, he wrote. And of course, the, he missed it. The idea is not that the wings have to be balanced, as some people say, but there has to be some kind of consciousness and flow between, between the wings. And that frees up the base point. The work is about loosening the white knuckled grip that you have on your type um, so that you can move creatively, gracefully between types as appropriate so that you can respond to the world as it is. A fixation is always a limited, stifling view, no matter how evolved it is or, or um, how clever you are uh, knowing the characteristics and habits. Uh, it's always limiting because you're seeing things through a template. Uh, and if you want to open that, then uh, by welcoming the other points, then um, you can respond more directly to events in the world. Hmm. So I don't want to, I, I hope it's okay to make this personal. And, and I'm wondering if I can ask you, if you look at that sort of empty space between between two points, if you look at that 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 base point between the wings as as a, a space of resolution, like how do you make sense of that personally, or what what does that look like in in, in your own your own soul work? Let's say, I think everybody has to, um, in a non trivial way, in a non in a non superficial way, find how they relate to the other points, especially starting with the wings, and so where is um, you know, if I'm a seven, where is my struggle with eight? Why am I, well, I'm making a joke, I shouldn't, but, you know, why am I not knocking heads more? Um, but what, what, what about, you know, eight, the sevens flow above the earth, all the, all the next door points, all the adjacent points are opposites. So sevens are airy, heady in the air, um, and eights are earthy, um, and, um, and so there's a nice tension. There's a tension on all the lines. And do you reject it completely? Do you long for it? Um, are you able to integrate some of it? And the same with for seven, six, where um, they're avoiding their felt sense of fear and worry and concern. And so um, the six is really hidden, and it's a generator of seven. The six is hidden in the seven consciousness when the seven is fixated. Generally, the eight, the sense of power and bigness, um, is more conscious for a seven. So, um, so there's these pulls. And what you have to do is it's a very intimate exploration. You can get help, but you uh, ultimately have to find it, find that connection for yourself. And then back to the, to the lines. So I... Uh I, I feel like I, I, I read this um, maybe on like a flyer of, 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 of an event that you were, you were speaking at or I, I, I came across this in an article somewhere. But is this, is this right? Like you, 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 you suggest this notion that maybe we actually aren't a point on the outside of the circle, the Enneagram, but that we actually might be sort of surfing somewhere along the crisscrossing lines inside? Yeah, I, I think that's accurate to say. So imagine a line. A line is a uh, it's like a discussion. It's an archetype, and there's uh, there's uh, um, on the, on the end of each line is a point. Call it an enneagram point, 
And when you're fixated, the line—it's the, like a, the line is telling a story. There's a—it's a myth or a story, and it's about how one type interacts with another type. And there are uh, adventures, and you can swing back and forth as appropriate. Um, but you're not stuck at the end of the line. When you're fixated, you are stuck at the end of the line um, at one point. But what the work of of unhooking the enneagram is about finding the stories that um, express the lines that you're working. You know, there's four lines going right into each point, but there are dotted lines and unspoken lines as well. And, uh, and so working the lines is a major central uh, way to approach the Enneagram. So the idea is that you have a line, maybe there's an actual story that you know that, that talks about how you're working it, but it's... Um, the idea is to engage the line, uh, to wrestle with it, to participate in it, rather than just going on automatic at one end of the point. The, you know, we see this a lot in Greek mythology. Uh, there's an old expression, the gods never appear alone. And that's what's happening here. The points never appear alone. There's always some, some pull or not. Uh, there's always some pull. If it's not there, it's the point is more fixated. When there's a pull, um, it opens up the point, it frees the point, there's creativity, there's gracefulness. You can be in the world in a, in a much larger way, not an automatic way. Mm. So can you, can you talk a little bit about um, this, this idea of fixations, right? I, um, yeah. I think a lot of us um, maybe overlook that. I, I, I think for, for a lot of folks, um, they may have found type um, more easily by by looking at the passions because there's a kind of let's say humiliation of the ego or there's a kind of accessibleness that that maybe we 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 can feel our emotions more more accurately than than we can observe what's what's fixated can can you talk about why the fixations are are so critical to understanding this tradition and, and so important for our own sort of working to loosen the grasp of of type structure right well um I think it's important to learn these things and know them deep in yourself, but to understand that you are holding to a position, that it's a template that blocks you from seeing things in other ways. And so to spend, I, I think the, the, I forget where this comes from, but it's the idea that you learn the Enneagram so that you can forget it. Um, you hmm. learn it, and you learn the the stories that you're telling. Um, but you don't want to keep coming back to I'm a one and I'm resentful. Damn it! You uh, you want to say, oh, I acknowledge that I have that habit, and uh, I I uh, want to see how, and I can see how it helps me sometimes because I am fussy and perfectionistic, and that's how I like things. But says someone. But uh, um, the real goal of the Enneagram is not to refine the points, not to um, build an ever-hypnotizing ever um, matrix, but to let go of them, because a, a fixation is always limiting, always limiting, no matter how evolved you are, no matter, no matter how much uh, um, you've decorated your home point, um, it's still 
a limiting thing. The real work are the different ways that you can welcome the other points and bring them into your uh, consciousness. And you can see this on the outside, too. You can see, you know, if there are different kinds of people, people of different points, and some you don't like or like, you can, that's another way to get into seeing what story you're telling yourself about, about um, your type. So what, is it, what does it look like then to, 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 to find compassion for your fixation? Boy, that's a wonderful expression. Or is that possible? I mean... If we're fixated, is, is is compassion even accessible? I think if you're fixated, compassion is hard because you don't have a place to stand. Um, it's uh, it's like Archimedes trying to move the the earth, trying to get a place of leverage. If you're totally inside your point, you don't have any leverage uh, for change. Um, but I think if you can look at your point from the outside, from that is from the perspective of, say, another point, um, then, then you can see, oh, this is what I'm, I've done to myself. This is how I keep myself limited. And um, compassion is hard. Self-compassion is much harder. But at least you can see the process and dynamics of how you put yourself in that box and, and ways out of it if you're standing in a place where you can have perspective. Hmm. So I, 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 I feel like you, you illustrated this really well. I was, um, I was at an event where you, you introduced this, this, this notion of, of, of Medusa as a symbol or a totem of a fixation. Is that? Yes, is that that's right. Accurate. And could, do you yes. mind talking, breaking that down no, a little great. bit? This is in the new book and, um, I'm very interested in it. What happens is, um, um, Medusa's a, a young girl who's a devotee of, of Athena, and um, she's moving up in the ranks in Athena. She's, she's punching her ticket, and she's very liked in the Athena, call it ashram. And, um, and then one day she attracts the attention of Athena's nemesis, who is the great god Poseidon. Athena is intelligence and um, civilization and um, uh, kind of practical wisdom. Poseidon is id-like. He is in, he's the lord of the seas and therefore of what's deep under the surface. Um, he's uh, tempestuous. And so cool Athena, tempestuous Poseidon, they're opposites. And there are many stories where they are just pulling at each other. So, um, Medusa, we don't know why, attracts the interest of Poseidon, and we do know that they lay together in Athena's temple, desecrating the temple from Athena's point of view. Athena discovers them. Uh, Medusa is horrified. Uh, um, She looks to Athena, then she turns to look to Poseidon, and he's gone. And so... Athena freezes Medusa's face, which is in horror, um, in that sp- in in at that moment, so that she has this horrible face. She gives her the evil eye, which um, when she looks to people, she turns them to stone. Uh, from now on, and uh, she she becomes a kind of Medusa becomes a 
a kind of monster. This is someone who was totally devoted to Athena, but when there's a pull between the two types, thwomp, she becomes uh, totally Athena's. Eventually, long story short, um, the hero Perseus comes to free Medusa from her um, cave where she has to live now because she's so horrifying. When Medusa looks at people who have come to visit her, she turns them to stone. What that means is, and this is something we all do from fixation, is we look at people, we make our judgments from our fixation, uh, we put them in a box, maybe you're typing people, maybe you're, maybe you're talking about uh, uh, somebody that you don't like, and you say, oh, she's a witch, um, and it becomes the way you think about her. However you classify people, um, this is what Medusa was doing because she was so fixated. Uh, and um, it's the same thing happens when you give a diagnosis, um, uh, determine an Enneagram type, or just make a judgment about somebody that they're such and not something other. The, the, um, uh, and so when Medusa would look at people, she would turn them to stone. They would just freeze right there. Um, and this is the equivalent, of, this is equivalent of things that we do as well. We look at people, make a judgment, dismiss them, uh, find a, a quick handle to relate to them. And um, what Perseus does to free her, very interesting, he has the tools of many gods, that is, many perspectives. He has uh, Zeus's uh, um, sickle, called the adamantine sickle, uh, and uh, he, has, he uses Athena's shield, he uses um, Hermes' sandals, the telaria, uh, and he uses Plato, uh, Pluto's, um, not Plato, but Pluto, Hades' helmet, which makes him invisible. He has the tools of many gods. He approaches her with the tools of many gods. And you can think of gods at each point in the, in the circle, um, but the main thing is to think of them as different perspectives. He comes with many perspectives. Medusa is stuck in one. Uh, and when he applies, when he brings the many perspectives to Medusa, um, he frees her up. He cuts off her head, but the energy transforms into Pegasus. And Pegasus is the ideal of imagination and creativity. Pegasus, the white-winged horse, um, has many adventures, and eventually Zeus puts him in the skies as a constellation, Pegasus. Um, so the, the short of it is that um, we get stuck in one position, um, it freezes the way, like Medusa, it freezes the way we look at people and the world. We, we, without realizing it, judge and dismiss people too quickly. And the way out is to have many perspectives at your, many tools in your toolbox, many perspectives, the other eight points, in fact. And, um, and then that opens up creativity and imagination. So... I'm simplifying a bit. Uh, please check out the book for the fuller story, but that's the idea. And and are you suggesting that the um, the Pegasus is is maybe a symbol of the the holy idea then? Hmm. 
I think you could you could say that you could say that not lim- not only the holy idea, but you could talk about it as as the holy idea. Sure, uh, th- which I'm, I'm really I really like thinking of it as a higher um, unfixated state, uh, and the holy ideas come in come into that. That's that would be a nice way of talking about it, but not the only way. Yeah. So can so sorry to 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 to, to maybe Don't fill this in a little bit. Can you can you talk a little bit about the holy ideas? I actually think the holy ideas might be one of the most convoluted or sort of misunderstood aspects of this. But man, with the relationship they have to the fixations, right? How can we can really really do that work on the fixation without them? I understood that um, Oscar Chasso sort of framed the holy ideas as the psychocatalyzer, right? That if this yes, is really what what that's you fair. worked with, this would loosen, let's say, the the fossilization of the of the fixation. That's right. So that's exactly right. That's a fair that's a fair thing to say. Um, going in with um, very conscious sense of gratitude or um, or equanimity uh, to um, is is a as is a conscious a tool in pathway in to loosening the fixation, which is the goal, as we say. Yeah. So then, maybe I'm wrong here, but my my sense is, in my own work, it's like the holy idea has really become the first truth that I have to tell myself because it seems like. I listen to the lie. I believe the lie of my fixation. Like, like you're yes, saying, I, right. I, I stay right. stuck, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so it's interesting. It's it's amazing to imagine that, right? Like, you, I think that's you, great. That's how you know you're doing it right. So, can we talk a little bit more about um, this work that you're doing with the Enneagram and Greek mythology? Like, how did, like, how did that that find you, or how did you sort of start to see <laughs> the Enneagram showing up in all these great stories? Yeah, um, I was in um, Berkeley preparing a class uh, on the Enneagram, and I wanted a, an example for an eight. And just out of the blue, I thought of the Cyclops uh, as a good eight. Um, and uh, so I decided to go down to Telegraph and to the Shambhala bookstore and went into the back where the classic, classic section is and uh, pulled down some copies of Homer's Odyssey, sat on the floor, and started to read about the Cyclops. And then I casually noticed that before the Cyclops, Odysseus had been uh, to the Lotus Eaters, Nines, and after he went to the Aeolians, very obvious Sevens, very obvious Nines. And I thought, oh, isn't that cute? Nine, eight, seven. Uh, And then I, over some time, and it took more time then you might realize I parsed out the rest of the uh, journey home, uh, Odysseus, Odysseus uh, traveling to each of the Enneagram types in numerical order. And, uh, um, and I think anyone who knows the Enneagram now can look at Odysseus's return in my book, Travels with Odysseus, and see that it's obviously the Enneagram, that it's not, of course it is, but it wasn't, it wasn't completely obvious to me at the time. And, uh, and so it reveals the Enneagram as a journey of the soul, 
uh, this is uh, this is the way you get back home. You go through these types, you learn things. Each each stop is a story. Um, you learn something of the essence of that type, um, and uh, and then you can find your way home. Enneagram map makers will continue in a moment. In Chris's book, The Enneagram of Belonging, you'll discover that knowing ourselves doesn't necessarily mean we accept ourselves. Most of us tend to curate the personality of our type, leading with the traits we perceive as positive and sidelining the traits that cause us shame. But what if it all belonged? Rather than furthering our own fragmentation, what if we dared to make peace with the whole of who we are with bold compassion? The Enneagram of Belonging is your guide to this essential journey. Get your copy today, wherever books are sold. And in this journey home, are you saying that at each stop, as we sort of go around the circle, is there something that we have to pick up from that type? Or is there something that we have to set down from that type? Like, is is there something we need to bring home? Is there something we can't actually bring home? There's a, Odysseus has a learning at each stop. Uh, it's a deep learning. Uh, and it's, uh, and the thing about these stories, they're terrific at conveying the aha moment of each type so that you you get it in a way that's startling you, especially if you're of that type. It's so much better than looking at lists of characteristics and trying to find yourself or um, habits or whatever. You might be able to find your type, but there's something under that, and it's this aha moment, and the stories, for me, convey that best. Uh, he, what he does in each... In each um, adventure is just as we've been talking about he frees himself up to go to the next place so that he's he could get stuck in each place and in fact in some places he spends a long time until he figures out what needs to be done Um, but it allows you to move on and then of course you have the learnings of of that uh, of that of that place Uh, the beginning of the odyssey is um it starts out, um, here is the story of a man of many turns, that is, many, many m- different facilities to respond to the world um, and, and of his adventures. And, and so Homer is building a guy who is not fixated. It's, 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 it's remarkable. It's remarkable that, that you saw that in there. I, yeah, and then I would say uh, as well, uh, there are many stories that flesh out uh, not just type, and I don't mean that I'm typing a character or a goddess. I mean that in their actions and living, they exemplify the type. You can see their strengths and blind spots, but under that, you can see um, a a um a kind of a why and uh, so it reveals the type the stories reveal the type more starkly than 
than simply uh, reading about the characteristics. So um, uh, there's a whole range of stories, and I'm working now, the book I'm working on now is about how does fixation form, and that relates to Medusa, and then what do you do once you have a fixation? How do you generally unfixate? And there are many Greek stories and Bible stories that speak directly to this point of how you loosen up your, your uh, trance. Uh, so, uh, but I think the Odyssey is central. And in the Iliad, um, uh, the adventures are presented in numerical order. This is the story of going out into the world, uh, uh, figuring out what you want, and then going after it. Um, it's a, it's a going away from home into the world story. And that goes one through nine. I haven't written about that yet, but I hope to someday. So this is so this is kind of like the Jungian's two halves of life, right? Like the like Richard Rohr calls this sort of second half of life or the the, the so called yes, Jungian middle right. passage, like yes, right? Yes. The falling the falling upward. This is is the homecoming. That's right. Um, so it's just it's fascinating to see this show up everywhere, and it's like it's imprinted on our psyche, and yes. Yes. And clearly, right, the Greeks didn't, well, probably didn't know of, of the Enneagram, certainly as we know it today. But it's, it's remarkable it's, what you can see into that, those stories. It's obvious. I'm, I, I don't want people to think that I'm stretching this in any way. Um, once you know the Odyssey story, it's obvious that he's going through the series. So Homer knew at least the points in their order. I just think that's incontrovertible, uh, and uh, there's no sleight of hand here. It's all on the page. And um, if he knew the points in their order, he probably knew something of the relations between them because at least he knew what came before and what came after. So, yeah, so I think it goes back a lot. Uh, Ichazo emphasizes that the Kabbalah, Jewish mysticism, and Christian mysticism is also a big source. And, and the Kabbalah has the same thing of energy flowing through um, the, the, the points, the sephirot, uh, 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 um, in particular ways with particular intention. Put, the, put intention in quotes, but the way, the, the way things flow has real meaning, as it does in the Enneagram. Hmm. Just, it's just incredible. Man, I, I, it's like I just want to pick your brain on all this stuff about the myths and like where else you good. see it. That's good, right? Yeah, that's great, man. That was that was amazing. Um, yeah. And it's like, man, my my mind is racing so fast because I'm like, oh, I want to ask you about this and I want to ask you about that. But um, um, anything else you want to you want to talk about here around mythology, or is that uh, how do you how do you feel? I guess I just want to say a lot of the stories are about uh, interrelatedness of different gods, that is, uh, gods who are taking different perspectives that are equivalent to the perspectives taken on the types. And and so the stories are about how they interrelate and possibly how they free themselves up or get stuck. But but for me, it's a really tight connection between mythology and, and the Enneagram. So let me ask you this, and in your in your book, Travels with Odysseus, 
you you actually didn't name the enneagram in there. I mean, it, yeah. it's clearly implicit. But was there yeah. what was what was going on? Well, with that? I wanted it to be available to people who who um, didn't study, don't know the enneagram. I didn't want the a number of people you probably know it as well uh, are turned off by that word. So I tried to um, I tried to uh, um, um, keep it out of the way. And and to a certain extent, that's worked. That book is used as a text, generally secondary text in high schools and colleges. Um, and I think if it were an Enneagram text, uh, people, professors would be less comfortable using it. Sure. Yeah, that's great. I, I found this entirely fascinating, but um, learned that you actually had, had taught the Enneagram to the CIA um, not sure what you can or can't say about that, but any uh, any funny little stories or anything you could at least sort of sort of tease us with. Yes, um, like any well, let's just say in any big organization, there's a lot of interest in leadership, in styles of leadership, in how teams work together. And then sometimes, with particular big organizations, they're interested in how the competition works, how the other leader thinks. Um, maybe they want to do an analysis of such a person and their competitors, I'm, th I'm thinking of. And uh, so how do they operate? And the Enneagram is uh, super helpful in that. That's what I would say. Awesome. So I, I, if it's okay, I'd love to, to just sort of try to get into your, 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 your head or your heart a little bit. Um, how did you come to terms with your own type and, and what was that like for you? Well, that's kind of funny. I, when I first, first started with the Enneagram, uh, one of the major teachers typed me as a nine. And there was, it was a very small community then. And I was a very good nine. I was a little more energetic than the average nine panelist, but I understood the point very well. And, and uh, I could explain it. Um, and in fact, uh, other teachers in the West um, would want me to be a panelist and um, a nine panelist. <clears throat> and sometimes they'd give me a little travel money or a stipend or whatever. And so you could say I was a professional nine. And I was well known as a nine. And, uh, <laughs> hmm. and, uh, then, but I had I had, I was never very comfortable in a deep way with nineness, and um, um, actually I leaned towards sevenness. Uh, and and uh, when I went to see Chaza, one of the first things he said to me was, uh, "Well, of course you're a you're a, a plan a planner." His word for seven, and I and he explained and went on about that, and of course I I thought he was right, um, and so I became seven in that moment and uh, and uh, I people were very upset though because I had been a nine for a couple of years and now I was um, being a seven it was like having a but also when I became sort of more well known in the Enneagram world more well known than I am now um, uh, people would debate uh, the the author's type and and people had me at every type with explanations. Oh, he's a three because he writes in business. Um, 
oh, he's a one because he's obviously very fussy about about his presentation. Um, and uh, um, on these bulletin boards at that time, and people would have these discussions, which I thought was hilarious. And I and I was designated every number except eight. So I realized that was the one I had to work on. Yeah. So then what was, so what have you done then over the years to, and maybe I'm saying this wrong, to make peace with your type or... What a great idea, question. That is a really good question. Or what? I interrupted you. Or, you know, maybe to, to come to terms and, and have an honest relationship with your type. Yeah. Well... I think we can go back to Ichazo's point about the Enneagram being part of a larger system. It doesn't really stand on its own as a um, spiritual context, but it's a great tool. And I think what happens with type is that it gets in the way of our being in the world and uh, our being with other people. The type is a story that we tell about ourselves and about the way the world works, which isn't a problem except we stick with white knuckles to it. And, and so it's harder for us to see other stories from other perspectives. The, the thing to do with the Enneagram is to put it out of the way once maybe it's done its job. Once you're talking to a five or a six or a seven, and you recognize that fact, you could stay outside the conversation and be typing them. You might say to yourself, oh, that's just the sort of thing a five would say. Um, well, that keeps you out of the scene. Um, you're, not, you're not present in the scene, and presence has become really interesting to me. Uh, and also, I would say central in my thinking about the Enneagram is, is Buber. Martin Buber's thing was to make essence-to-essence -essence contact with another person, uh, to try and feel into their mystery. He called it a bold swinging into the life of the other. Uh, when I was a kid and read Buber, uh, I just didn't see what the point was. It was so simple. Um, but now I see the richness and complexity of it. And one way the Enneagram is helpful for that, and that's what I'm interested in doing now when you ask about my own path, is connecting with people at that level. And, and so um, this is a way of thinking about the Enneagram that you learn it and then you put it aside. Maybe someone's fiveness is getting in your way um, and you're just irritated. Um, well, you could stay there. Uh, maybe not even knowing quite why you were irritated. Or you can say, oh, yeah, there's some fiveness there. I'm going to go under that now and find essence or, or uh, something deeper and see if I can connect with that. So it's like putting the Enneagram aside or forgetting it. Uh, and, um, and as far as presence, um, instead of putting people in Enneagram boxes, I think it's unavoidable probably to notice that at first, but then to not be this judging observer. And in this, I'm thinking of Eckhart Tolle, who I like a lot, but there's a whole 
universe of literature about presence now, and it's not a brand new concept either, uh, but the Enneagram helps you be present by um, helping you note the things that in your own type or the other type that keep you from being present. Having a type and living through it is always a way of not being present. And so it's another example of, oh, I acknowledge the type, I put it aside, I'm going for something deeper. Um, I want to I want to connect with someone in a more profound way. So uh, I would say that uh, 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 the Enneagram is a tool, but there needs to be a larger context, and that larger context is what I could call the larger life, the place mm-hmm. where we are where we are graceful and loving and creative. And the Enneagram, um, when, you, when, you, when you have it or use it, um, gets in the way of that. But it's easy to learn how to put aside. It's a spiritual practice to learn how to put aside the Enneagram and, um, and see what's under that, which is mystery. So do you think our, our do you think our collective consciousness today is is able to actually validate that or appreciate that because you know this is getting really popular in, in a lot of spaces that I, I I don't see a kind of reverence for mystery but I I, I kind of see folks using this to further fixate themselves to to brand themselves with type labeled T-shirts as if it's we're, we're proud of the fixation like. What, what do we do with this today? You know, I judge that, of course, but I, I also have this understanding of it, which is that I imagine, this is just my fantasy, that there are non-physical guardians of the Enneagram and uh, guardians of the deeper Enneagram. And, uh, and so they, they look upon this kind of popular Enneagram favorably because what better way to hide the Enneagram than in plain sight. It's fine that the Enneagram is popular and it may lead people to find it and then approach it in a deeper way. Um, but I think in terms of, of one's personal work, one has to take it seriously with humility um, and to, and, and to, to uh, reflect on oneself frankly uh, by oneself or in a group. And it's it's easy and too easy to do that in a superficial way, and it's fun and it's charming, and um, and isn't that well? Isn't that so much like Mary or Joe? And um, that's fine, but it keeps the real stuff hidden away. Yeah. So it's 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 wild because I'll say this: like the the most frequent asked question I get about the Enneagram is where do I certify or how do I train? How do I, how do I yes. use this p- professionally or, or, or what do I need to do before I can start teaching this? And it kind of bums me out a little bit because it's like, um, look, I take, I take some of my friends here in Omaha. Five of my friends are, are James Beard, semifinalist chefs. And I sometimes take chefs on street food tours of South and Southeast Asia, not because I studied culinary arts or I'm a great cook. It's because I've been to India over 60 times, mm-hmm. Thailand over 40 times, Nepal and wow. Cambodia over 20 times. It's mm-hmm. like, I know where to eat. 
And, and I think it's like, <laughs> I think it's just like, man, if we just knew, like you're saying, to, to find this compassion um, for ourselves, to be able to sort of observe where we're fixated and, and to really do the, the, the inner work to loosen that, then yes, actually there's the credibility. But this, this, this obsession with, I learned this, it, it gave me the codification or the framework to sort of put together what I've always maybe intuitively known about myself, but I didn't have language for, Right, right. Um, kind of misses the point. And actually, that's, that's one of the things I did like about you not explicitly naming the Enneagram in, in your book on Odysseus. Mm-hmm. It's, mm-hmm. That's not the point. It, it, it's a kind of energetic story. It's a, it is a homecoming, and you, you don't need the languaging to sort of find the mile markers or, or the pathway or, or the guidebook back there. Yeah, and so, in fact, it gets in the way because, yes. because it brings in a, a, another um, authority or frame or something. Um, yeah, I, I, I totally agree. I, I'm, yeah, I'm not, I'm not, um, oh, I'm not thrilled. Certifications are popping up all over. Um, and really, of course, they mean very little. But um, I think that a certification that involved um, real self-examination, not pretentious, um, that involved uh, um, um, working, working with uh, different, working with the themes of your life that that fit on the enneagram, that would be worthwhile. It would be worthwhile on its own terms. Um, and that's, I think, where the best teaching needs to go. Yeah. And I think that's what's great about what, what you, you've done with this this tradition is that you've mapped it against stories, stories that um, maybe aren't on the surface instructive, but they're human. We find ourselves in them. And then, yes, yes. you, you yes. lift it up and on the underneath, ta-da, there mm-hmm. I am. And that was a yeah. lesson. And so it's, it's, really, right. it's really great work. Thanks. Uh, and I really really am thankful for for you and and your work i'm 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 excited about the the future of your work and um, i'm really glad that you've kind of stayed in the game and 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 can you continue to contribute to the to the larger conversation what you're you're doing is 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 truly unique it's it's necessary and um i think you're gonna um continue to build a lot of bridges for like you said folks that maybe aren't going to naturally be drawn to the Enneagram or its language, but mm-hmm. intuitively see their story as, as something that's constantly unfolding. And, and as you see stories and, and you illuminate those for us, um, that's deeply spiritual and that's deeply human. So thanks, Michael. I also thank you. I, I think um, you're doing wonderful work. Your book is terrific. And and uh, you're, you're really... Um, becoming important in the community in, a, in the best way, in an in a honorable um, and uh, um, uh, spiritual and humble way. So it's really a pleasure. I hope we get to do something together in the future because I like your style. Yeah. Thanks for saying that, and I love it. So mm-hmm. Thanks a lot. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Enneagram Mapmakers. Special thanks to Ryan O'Neill for the gorgeous, as always, sleeping at last music and the gifted and talented genius that is Corey Pig for producing the show. 
And lastly, the sweet voice you hear helping at the beginning of the show is my dear friend Edith Moore, all the way from Christchurch, New Zealand.